All right. This week, we welcome Justin Booth of Go Bike Buffalo to the square. Justin, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me down here, guys. We, uh, we're, we're all big cycling fans. Oh, yes. we're, we're all we're all we're all bike we're all bikers. Ryan, you got a bike? Of course I do. Yeah, we bike all around. One of the reasons I live in Kenmore is because you can bike to places. You can go to the bar. You can go to the grocery store down the street. I got That's, my little rack on the back for carrying stuff around. Yeah, when I lived uh, in the Elmwood Village, I lived on Lancaster Avenue for. Well, I lived a couple places in the village, but I lived in Lancaster Avenue for a while when I was working for the county, uh, uh, Erie County Department of Social Services. And if I didn't take the bus down, I bike. So we're going to talk about like you guys are not just bike. You're, you're a whole. It's all about mobility, right? Yeah, it's about it's about you know getting free of the cars for the most part. But car car light car light. I mean, right. I, drove, I drove my car here today. <laughs> right. I mean, you're never going to get rid of them. But I mean, it's yeah, it's working on a, on a holistic. You can sure try. Yeah. Let's let's talk. Let's start here. So, go bike Buffalo. When when were you guys founded? How long uh, has the organization been around? We started back in 2008, uh, formally incorporated as an organization in 2010, um, and we've been continuing to focus on our work, looking at complete streets. How do we design our roadways to accommodate all users, whether you're in walking, whether you're cycling, whether you're in transit? Whether you have a disability or whether you're pushing your child in the baby stroller, how are we interacting with our communities? How does the environment infect, uh, affect our health? And how can we better build quality of life in our communities by making these investments in our public infrastructure to do so? It's it's fascinating to me that, you know, I've, I've lived in Buffalo um, my whole life, except I went away for college. But when I think about some of the major changes in this area over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, I think about the growing bike culture is one of them. Like it's something that everybody rides their bikes, but there, there really wasn't that sort of culture that I remember growing up. Um, even, you know, in my early teenage years, it was only like in my late teens, early twenties. Um, did I see like that burgeoning bike culture here around 2008, frankly, you know? So it's, it's been really cool to see that develop. Um, talk to me about like, where did that, was it just organic? Was it like, a bunch of people said, hey, you know what? We really want to turn Buffalo into a city where people ride their bikes and it's more accessible. Where, where did where did you come from with that? Yeah, so I should say that I'm originally from New York. You know, my grandparents are from Brooklyn. And I have really fun memories of spending my weekends with my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather was the mayor on the block. We you know we'd, we'd hang out in the front steps of the apartment building. You know, when I was a teenager, he would line up all the neighbors and have me wash their cars. You know, but we'd go out and get stuff for breakfast in the morning and we'd walk, you know, a block to go get the bagels. We'd walk another block to go to the store to get, you know, our milk and our juice and things like that. So everything that you needed was in that like 10 to 15 walk, minute walk of our house. Um, and that was some of the, you know, I think most quality time that I had spent with my grandparents was just like the times out in the community, interacting with them and interacting with the people that are that, that were, you know, part of the community. Um, and those are some of the memories that, you know, I look at that and think, why can't we do that on a regular basis? You know, why is that so challenging in many of our communities? Um, and then see it as a huge opportunity for us to really, you know, not only, you know, build that, that social capital, that interactions within our, with, to our neighbors, but also getting out there and being healthy again, you know, being able to get out there and, you know, choose to walk and choose to bike. Um, my background is in public health. I didn't come this from this from the transportation side and looked at it very early and, you know, the idea uh, and the public health profession really pushing people to, 
you know, go use, you know, take the escalator to go use a Stairmaster. And it's just like, well, this isn't, isn't working. <laughs> um, you know, how are we going to get people healthy as part of their daily routines? And then you start looking at cities across the country and across, uh, and across the world where they really design their environments where you, you can be car light. You don't necessarily need a car for every single trip that you take every day. Um, and the Surgeon General recommends, you know, 15 minutes um, increments up to 30 minutes a day just to maintain your health. You know, a 15-minute 15, 15 walk is, you know, to school or, or, and back or to work and back is the minimum that people need, but the majority of Americans don't get it. And so how do we design our communities so we can just make it easy enough for people to be healthy as part of their, their daily activities? And, you know, that was a really big, strong piece for me because that's what I grew up with. And Buffalo is a community, it's, it's strange to me that, like, yeah, uh, like Ree mentioned, and we talked about, like, bikes. I didn't really catch on to, like, bike culture in Buffalo until, like, 2008, 2009. I was in AmeriCorps at the time, but I've been living in the city for, like, five years at that time already. I, I grew up in the suburbs. You know, if you're in the suburbs in Buffalo, it's hard to be bike uh, car light um, because we don't have a robust uh, infrastructure for public transit. Being in the city, I mean, I had a car in the city. I moved into the city around 2004, 2005, and I had a car until about 2012, and then I actually haven't had a car since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, I've gotten around. If I need to go somewhere where a car, I need a car to get there, I work out something. But generally, you know, use public transportation, use bikes, or, you know, I lived in Elwood Village in the west side for a long time. I walked a lot of places. The neighborhoods in the city are generally built fairly well for being car light. I mean, there are some exceptions. Obviously, like you know, we talk about, and we talked about this last week with County Legislator Howard Johnson, and that you know, he represents a lot of the East Side, and you know, you have food deserts there. You you have issues about you know transportation. You, you if you want to go do any kind of grocery shopping or whatever, you actually need a car in in the East Side for the most part, uh, because, you know, you can't go every day or every other day because there's nothing within walking distance in a lot of the east side. But if you live in the Elmwood Village or you live in, in like, the Hurdle area of North Buffalo, you can be car light, but it's so anti uh, what people are brought up in this area. Like, they they just don't think that they can be. Even though, you know, like, if you, you live on Hurdle, there's what like three grocery stores right on Hurdle. Like, I mean, like, come on, like you, 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 and you, there's restaurants and bars and and grocery stores you can fit all your needs basically. And other than like having to go to Amherst Pediatrics, but like so you can still have a car for your family. You don't need three. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, and so how do you? I mean, again, it's, there's there's a lot that you just bundled up in, into that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, Jim. Yeah, there's a lot there's, going on. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I think I can co- pull it back in, though. I mean, Buffalo has a moniker of being a 20-minute city. You can get anywhere you want in 20 minutes if you have a vehicle. Um, and you look at what many cities are doing, particularly during, since this pandemic, is how do we redesign our cities in a way that you have every single need that you uh, have in your life 
within 15 minutes of your home. You know, it's, it's also, it's not just about the design of our streets, but also about the amenities and facilities that you need as part of your daily life. So as a child, are you able to walk to school? Are you able to walk to the playground? Um, are you able to walk to go visit your friends? Um, when you become older, um, are you, are, are you trapped in your house, um, a prisoner in your own home because you can't drive anymore? You know, and so, you know, a lot of the support that we've seen for a lot of the work for complete streets in particular has been from AARP because, mm-hmm. you know, they see the opportunity of, you know, designing our communities in a way that people can age um, throughout their entire lives and still have the things that they need on a daily basis to still be self-sufficient as they get older. And so when we think about, you know, being a walkable, bikeable, transit-friendly community, it, it's not just about, you know, having safe access, which is a huge, uh, obviously, component to it, but it's also about having the, you know, right uh, amenities in those neighborhoods where you have access to those things within 15 minutes of your home. Yeah, and I do think like that is something that um, some of our elected officials are starting to pay attention to, right? I mean, we talked about like Howard Johnson and, and you know their focus on getting some more of those amenities into the east side. Um, there's been concerted focus uh, from City Hall about getting some of those amenities downtown as there's more residential moving in there. Um, have you found that our elected officials have been at least, if not good active partners, willing listeners? Absolutely. When we first started doing this work, um, getting elected officials, getting state agencies or authorities to say the word bicycle or pedestrian was a big win. You know, now it's not a whether or not they say it, it's how can we make it better? How can we improve upon this? Uh, I think the city has really set a precedent with the green code, um, eliminating minimum parking requirements for all new buildings, requiring a transportation demand management policy. Um, they understand that they need to start thinking about, you know, uh, mobility into the 21st century. They had the Congress of New Urbanism come in and, and talk about the new mobility report and how are we going to move people downtown uh, from electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles to uh, electric bikes and bike share systems, and electric car share programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have yet to actually implement some of these pieces. And, you know, if, if we go out tomorrow and start putting electric scooters all over the place, you know, we have, we have some cracks in our streets downtown where they're gonna, people are going to get swallowed whole. Um, right. And so we don't even get the basics done right right now. And so we need to really think about this from a comprehensive perspective, like going the idea of induced demand. We've made it so easy for people to drive. We've made it so hard for people to choose any other way to get around. And we've spread our services out so far. How do we reconcentrate? that i think a good example in in downtown is the 201 ellicott project which you know was an infill development on you know a surface parking lot right next to the library and the nfta station right off main street Mm -hmm. you know uh, went from 400 parking spaces to 26 parking spaces in the grocery store and 201 affordable housing units you know and so you have your grocery store adjacent to your affordable housing complex with a bus station right there the light rail system we're adding a bike share uh, hub right there and we have um initiative called Go Buffalo Niagara, where it, we not only develop the transportation demand management plan for 201 Ellicott, but then we are also responsible working with Simonelli Development on implementing that plan, you know, making sure we're not just providing these amenities, but we're working with the people that are living there and working at Bray Miller's to say, you know, what is your barriers to getting to work by choosing other, other modes and what incentives and other pieces can we put in place to help support you? Sometimes it's just a matter of changing people's routine. Sometimes it's like they have no idea what bus would get them to that location or how to ride their bike. Um, and sometimes it's just matching them up with uh, the right person to, you know, show them the way one of their coworkers that maybe mm-hmm. have not met before. 
And we also provide people with like the, the insurance policy, a guaranteed ride home. So if you were to take the bus and there was an emergency at home, uh, you need to go pick up your kid at school. You know, we will pay for your ride, whether it's a taxi, Uber, Lyft, whatever the case may be, to get you back to where you need to be. So we take that fear um, out of the equation to get people to try to change their behaviors. Um, but it's, it's a long, we have a long way to go. And we've, we've built our community around vehicles for the last 80 to 90 years. Um, and it's going to take us that much time to reorient the way that we move ourselves around our community. Well, it's also the aesthetics of it too, right? Because like certainly the, the walkable community as a, as a need for the community uh, and, and the accessible community, um, is, is there. The, what I think too, though, is that also that it's a draw, it's a sell to have a community that you can easily bike in, that you can easily walk in, that you can go to the store. And you look at, um, you look at like growing or popular communities throughout America and, and what they point to, um, you know, I think about like your, your Austin, Texas is, or I, I was uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, not too long ago. And they're very walkable. You can walk to anything in Asheville. There's a huge bike um, community there too. And I think that like really is the big draw for a lot of these places where, you know, you, you view them as like an on the rise type of, of city or, or whatever. And I think it is because they are so accessible. Well, to but pedestrians, especially to the younger generations, right? R- right to, to, to your Gen Zs and and your younger millennials. I mean, millennials are like forty at this point. So right, like, right, right, right. But mean, no, no, that's what I mean. Like, it's just like you want to live somewhere where you can you can get around. I mean, I, mean, um, I had a previous boss who was the director of the Wellness Institute. So before we started Go Bike, and he would always tell me, "Quality of life is the currency of the future." And I was like, "What does that really mean?" It took me a while to get to it, but. Um, you know, it's when I start thinking about it, I mean, think about our transportation system historically. Uh, across New York State, every city is equidistant across New York State because that's how far the, the horses could pull the barges along the Erie Canal, right? And all our cities are based where there is ports. And so transportation really kind of facilitated our growth historically in this country. Are, are you saying that horses found a Utica? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> You're on the record. <laughs> You know, but as, as you know, these, these hubs of transportation came to be, and then we've evolved to now be this global economy, it's no longer about, you know, do you have access to the ports or an Erie Canal? It's really about having that quality of life in the community that people are attracted to. So, you know, building our communities, um, you know, that are more accessible to walking, biking, public transit. There was a great, uh, couple, you know, couple years ago you had the mayors of uh, seattle and chicago having like this internal fight you know of who's going to build the most protected bike lanes because they recognize that the more protected bike lanes that you have in your community is what's attracting the tech companies because the tech companies are only going to move into communities which are going to have that quality of life that can retain the best and brightest employees and so it is an economic development strategy as well because that quality of life is so important you can live anywhere in the world for the most part and do many jobs that we have available and so what gets people to settle into one community and it's it's really having that quality of life that people are after you mentioned seattle i took a trip there a few years back to visit a friend and the and the cultural thinking with biking and walking is much different than it is here there was a person uh, at a stoplight or a stop sign and they were like 
six inches into the crosswalk and, and they got, they, they got yelled at by multiple people. Um, <laughs> so, so the culture, the culture there is very pro walker, pro, pro bike. And if you get, if you deviate into a bike lane or you block a crosswalk there, you've got, you've got consequences here. If you're crossing in, into a crosswalk as a walker, as, as a pedestrian, as a biker, it seems like people are okay with just running you over. <laughs> How do you suggest we change that perception here, that cultural perception? Um, is it a, uh, a public campaign or is it just kind of generational? It needs to be a comprehensive approach. I mean, I think the number one thing is we need to design our streets thinking about people first and not just moving cars. I mean, when you're trying to cross a street and you're going across multiple lanes of traffic with multiple turning lanes, the car is looking to the left to take the right. He doesn't paying attention to see if you're walking across the street. But if we designed our streets so, you know, the the curbs push out and the pedestrians are, are there and the, and the vehicles aren't parked in the crosswalk or on the sidewalk blocking, you know, those view sheds, you know, that is, that is the number one piece right there. But then, you know, those educational campaigns, I mean, New York city has done a phenomenal job with their vision that they have a vision zero policy, the goal of getting to zero traffic fatalities on their roadways, which is ambitious. They have yet to achieve it. Um, but they've developed some pretty hard hitting PSA campaigns of, you you know, children getting run over by an, you know, a distracted driver, um, you know, which happens significantly. Pedestrian deaths are, you know, at a 20 year high and have only increased significantly during the last two years of the pandemic because we've had less vehicles on the road, less congestion. And so we have a lot more people going out there driving really fast and those numbers continue to go up um, at a striking pace. Yeah, I mean, uh, I personally or anecdotally, um, you know, like the hardest for me at riding bikes was on Delaware in the city of Buffalo because it's five lanes. And everybody, it, even though the speed limit in the city of Buffalo is 30 miles an hour everywhere on Delaware, it's basically 45. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, you know, and, and people would be like, well, like, well, you ride your bike on Elmwood a lot and it's a very busy street. And I was like, yeah, but it's basically two lanes. And everybody's going like 25 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour. Like I'm more in danger of hitting an open car door. I am of getting hit by a car on Elmwood. Whereas like when I was be running a bike on Delaware, it, I mean, it, I was, it was every day was like Normandy. Basically I was taking my life into my hands. I don't want to dis, you know, demean Normandy, but I mean, <laughs> it was kind of hard. Yeah. I mean, it really comes back down to our streets and many times when we go out and do projects in the community, it's, it's not about adding bicycle lanes. It's really talking to the community um, what are the issues that are facing? And there isn't a neighborhood that we have not worked in or spoke to that their number one concern is the number or speed or noise of the vehicles that are going down the neighborhood streets, you know, speeding down a residential street, not stopping at stop signs, you know, going the wrong way. Um, and so, you know, when we go out to a community, our number one thing is, you know, what are the issues that you're facing and what is the vision you would like to see? And that doesn't necessarily mean there's bike lanes. That usually means that, you know, are we including speed humps? Are we, you know, putting bump outs in? Are we doing, you know, other types of traffic calming projects to make the streets safe and get cars to actually drive the speed? You know, there's there's really good research out there that shows that a car, if you're hit by a vehicle going 20 miles an hour, you have a 90% chance of living if you're hit by a vehicle going 40 miles per hour, you have a 90% chance of dying. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so, you know, we should be lowering, you know, lowering our speed limits, particularly in our neighborhoods, around our schools, around some key destinations. And we should be designing our streets towards that 20 miles per hour. It's not about limiting access for cars at all. It's about making it safe for everybody else on our street. And by doing so, it has so many other benefits for our, for our community. Yeah, I mean, it's, we talked about the, the speed humps initiative last week, and we, we talked about like a year and a half ago at this point now yeah. with uh with uh town councilman in Chictawaga, Brian Nowak about like build outs and doing things because this is something that he was looking at to do in Chictawaga because it's not just a city issue. I mean it's especially the first suburbs uh, this is a big issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um it might be less of an issue in Alden where like four people live. But um you know it talked <laughs> about doing build outs and and doing things to naturally slow traffic because like another spot that I think of that I drive past on a regular basis is McKinley high school. I mean, that it, that's, that's a public high school that, that there are, there are a lot of kids there and it's like four or five lanes on Elmwood there. And there's no, there's no Island. There, there's, there's nothing that does, there's no trees anywhere. There's nothing that's going to just naturally encourage you to slow down. So it's not surprising that people are going 40 miles an hour in front of McKinley High School. It goes back to how we design the streets. I mean, the McKinley High School and Elmwood Avenue right there is the same as the Skajakwood Expressway, same yeah. as the 190, same as the Delaware S-curves. You can put the speed limit whatever you want, but if you design the street, I mean, that's why everyone hates the Skajakwood Expressway being 30 miles per hour. It's designed for cars to go 50, and to go 30, it feels like you can get out there and walk faster. And so, again, if we were designed our streets appropriately, you know, it totally changes your perspective. I mean, think about when you're driving on the expressway. You go in, if you're going the speed limit, you go in 65, 70, um, you know, but everything is super far out, and they go past you very slow. And so you can go 70, and your perception is, is like, oh, you know, I can easily go faster if I wanted to, if I don't want to get a ticket. Um, but when you're in a city, when you're in a community, when you're in a village center, you know, uh, how do you clutter up that street space in a way that for, that peripheral vision of yours, you know, gets has all types of other things interacting, street trees and signs and people and other modes moving around you, you automatically slow down. You even have some cities across the world, you know, they call them woonerfs, um, where there isn't a curb in place that you use different textures and street, you know, design as a way to facilitate the, where the different uses should be, but you're all at the same plane. Um, and because you have all those different uh, interactions there, it kind of makes it less safe, but because you feel less safe, you're less likely to drive like an idiot. Yeah, and, and again, like, you know, anecdotally, uh, so I lived on Lancaster Ave in the Elmwood Village, um, and I would say most people did not speed down that street. It's kind of a narrow street and there's parking on both sides, things that in- cause people to go slower. That said, I also lived and, uh, re lived there with me on West Utica street, actually a narrower street street, like footage wise than Lancaster Ave, but there was only parking on one side. So people went faster all the time. Yeah. Car parking is a very simple way to you know, slow cars down. But then, you know, you can certainly make the argument, you know, we stealing public space to park your personal appliance. Mm-hmm. Right. Justin, we got to, we got to talk to you about the, uh, the Rod Watson column in the Buffalo news a couple of weeks back. Um, Rod, Rod, by the way, has been on a heater. You know, we, we love, we love following Rod and, and all the uh, amazing columns. He's a true, a true master of the hot take craft yeah 
2022 Rod Watson is like 2003 Pedro Martinez right now. It's, yeah. He's just, he's just in. <laughs> he's throwing the high heat. Yeah. And uh, no, this, this particular column, it, it was about um, the city of Lackawanna removing a bike lane. And it became... It, Lackawanna taking away a, a bike lane on Ridge Road became like emblematic of, you know, this is why we can't kowtow to bike culture. And this is, you know, we need to make our, our city streets more. We have to be real common sense and, you know, cars need to drive on our streets. Uh, and you, you were actually, you provided some commentary for it, I think. Right. Um, t- t- talk to me here. That This isn't so much about Rod, but I mean the attitude that like, Hey, you know, the, the streets are for cars and, you know, we need to be realistic but, about but, bikes. But if we were going to have a boxing match between you and Rod Watson, how much could we sell tickets? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give Rod the first shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's good, you know, important to go back and we, we look at Lackawanna as a Lackawanna lesson, right? I mean, there was a tremendous opportunity in the city of Lackawanna where you've had many communities, particularly the First Ward, which, you know, is kind of isolated from the rest of the community. They're, they're sandwiched between Route 5, the railroad tracks, and Ridge Road. You know, how do they get to South Park? How do they get to the schools? How do they get to the business district? You know, without, you know, riding their bikes, which is what we saw, um, or walking on these very narrow sidewalks next to vehicles going 50-plus miles an hour easily uh, along that roadway. We actually we did a, a speed study out there, and if memory serves correctly, I believe the average speed... You know, was pushing like forty-five miles an hour on on Ridge Road, which which is pretty high for you know thinking about the statistics I just shared. Particularly if you have lots of people, kids, particular uh, you know walking across it. Uh, the city of Lackawanna had a traffic study that was done. You know, and what we've seen over and over again: if you have twenty-five thousand vehicles a day or less, um, even New York State Department of Transportation says fifteen thousand vehicles a day or less, and Lackawanna had something along the lines of ten. Delaware Avenue downtown, for instance, has about twelve, which is you know you're able to do a what we call a road diet. So taking it from four lanes to three lanes, or sometimes two lanes. The three lanes, you know, like Delaware Avenue downtown, one lane each, each direction with that center turn lane. On Ridge Road, we put. Two lanes back in place. You know, GoBike has an engineer on staff. He's actually the former uh, town engineer for the city of Tonawanda. And uh, so we came up with a design, a number of different options that looked at reallocating that space and making it safer for people to walk and bike. You know, if you're going to, their number one concern was the number of speeding vehicles and the noise of vehicles, particularly during COVID, making it difficult for restaurants to be able to offer outdoor dining experience because who wants to have a brunch at Curly's when you have to listen to the tractor trailer rumble past you? (laughs) Um, So, you know, our design was focused on one, you know, Let's slow down the cars, not elim- obviously not eliminate vehicles, but let's get them to travel the actual speed limit. And then, you know, a number of different options for how do we better accommodate bicycles there, particularly with the Empire State Trail connections into South Park. You know, it, it was a big cycling route to begin with. From all the data that we collected, it was successful. Vehicle, vo- uh, vehicle speeds went down where volume stayed the same. We saw crashes redu- uh, reduced. We saw an uh, increase in cycling by 275%. Um, so everything that we set out to actually accomplish was accomplished. 
But this was a project that was not vetted by the community, that was spoken to by, you know, us at Gold Bike and with the council members and the mayor at Lackawanna. And as soon as we started doing the project, um, we were getting pushback from people saying, this is causing traffic jams, this is unsafe, and all the things that we hear. The number one, the number one concern that we got from people um, in the surveys was that uh, they, they had to slow down and they had to look for other people on the roadway. And if that is our number one complaint, that's exactly what we okay. set out to actually accomplish. Uh, um, and so when that oh is the, God. you know, but when you have only 20% of the people that were in support of the project, and it was done, you know, the mostly community didn't find out about it until, you know, we did the press event with the mayor, you can understand that they felt like, you know, where is my voice in, in this process? You know, why are we doing this? You know, and, and a lot, a lot of questions about this being a waste of money, even though this was a grant that we had and did for free with volunteers for the city of Lackawanna. Um, so in spite of the data recommending to go, you know, what, what actually happened, um, you know, they pulled back that design and moved it forward. But this is, you know, that sentiment is what we hear on a, uh, on a consistent basis is, you know, the idea of getting people to slow down, they get very, very upset over. And so, you know, we, we think we get, you know, and it's, I think it's important for us to design our streets to affect the right behavior because you know no one wants enforce more enforcement on our roadways and we particularly know uh, you know our uh, friends in our in the black and brown community how they're more highly targeted of course in traffic enforcement um and so how do we eliminate traffic enforcement from you know um our streets we need to design it to exact the right behaviors from drivers um you know, and I think this is a really important part of how do we build equity in our in our transportation system. I wish we could come up with some way that we could encourage people to want to slow down more. I mean, look, you know, far be it from me to say anything about the city of Lackawanna, but I mean, wouldn't you want to slow down and take it in more? But uh, well, that's my point. People don't want to. There's animosity against doing such well, a thing, I, and that's well, why I think more people should be like me and yell and wave their fists when people go too fast and blow <laughs> right. stops. You got to meet I, meet that energy. I, like, well, anecdotal, like I I live right now in the town of Lancaster, and there like there's very limited bike lanes in the town of Lancaster. But I live on Central Avenue, where they're from the town line all the way to the intersection of Central and Broadway through the village, there are bike lines on, on each side. And, you know, like, I know there are certain people, like my father, who was like, well, this is just, a, like, that just identifies who you're going to kill. I was like, it, 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 it <laughs> doesn't because, like, you say that, but then when you see something in the bike lane, you go slower. I know you, I, I've been with you. You slow down by, like, five miles an hour. I don't want to say that you're a trained dog, but you're basically a trained dog. Like we've we've trained you. Like we rang the bell and you did the thing. <laughs> well, it, it's funny to your, to your point earlier, Justin, because um, we're talking about how how important the design of cities are, and how much that informs behaviors and and the attitudes. Because I feel as if a lot of times there's an adversarial relationship um, with people versus like biking or like bikers like like jim's dad you know who am i gonna kill um but it like I, and i think of you know anytime that you've been caught in traffic because slow rolls coming through no disrespect love slow roll love everybody there but there's like a almost like a an attitude where it's like it's an inconvenience rather than hey this is your city too that you can you know that you can travel like it and it, i think a lot of it comes back to like you said the way it's designed it, it ends up being that bikers and you know 
these lanes are more of an imposition on people as opposed to it's a natural part of our community. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's some people that really, really support it. Some people that absolutely hate it. And, you know, and, and going back to Rod, I mean, this is a gentleman that lives out in the suburbs and the commutes into downtown every day. And so by putting these bike lanes in and slowing down people's commutes, they are getting upset because that's another couple of minutes they could have in their house. And like, I get that. But what what are the trade-offs, right? Are the, you know, it's it's bad air quality, it's increased traffic safety issues, increased injuries, fatalities, and hospitalizations on our roadways, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, you know, transportation is the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions, and personal transportation use is one of the highest reasons uh, for that, you know, and here we, you know, are now dealing with another uh, surge in gas prices, and we, we want to drive more and faster. Um, it, it seems to be, you know, we, we, the definition of insanity, trying to say, you know, the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So how, how are we going, to, you know, to get past some of these things? And honestly, I feel, you know, the work that we're doing at Go Bike, our focus has been to, you know, really, you know, from the Lackawanna lesson, focus on the ground up approach, going to the community, what are their issues? What are their challenges? How can we help address them with what we have to offer um, and sometimes it's as simple as going out there and let's paint the crosswalk across the street so people can, from one side of the street, get to that bus stop for them to get to work a little bit safer. Um, and, and you need to really have them uh, as a part of that process and not focusing on public investments uh, where, you know, there's most economic development happening, but really focusing our investments for the people that are living in our communities and how are we supporting them for their for the day-to-day routines. You know, I have no empathy for the person who complains about the, you know, the driving across the Skajakwita is taking them, you know, so much more time because we know, you know, from, you know, when it was 50 miles an hour, it took them three minutes to get from end to end. And now it takes them about, you know, five and a half minutes to get to end. And you know what? 80% of the drivers on that roadway don't actually use it from end to end. It's more like a long and on and off ramp. So we have some really good tools and data to demonstrate how we are truly using our communities. And we have, we are overbuilt. Our region, our city was built when there was, you know, we had twice the population. We were expecting to grow to twice of that. And we've, you know, reduced population. So we have all this excess capacity on our streets and our roadways. And if you can't park in front of the place where you're going to, people get very upset. Um, You know, and for me, if I go to a popular destination, my first tact is, okay, I'm going to go right to the outside of this area and park on a street, you know, and be able to walk to my destination, which is probably going to be shorter than parking in the parking lot at the Galleria and walking to my store I'm going to there, right? So it's just that we've we've thought about things differently and we design things differently and when it's it's really hard for some people to get out of that mindset. But, you know, what we have seen over and over again is through these systematic changes and, and, and putting these, these, testing some of these ideas on the streets, even if it's just temporarily, um, like we did in Lackawanna, that most people see that these changes are, are needed and appreciate and want more of them. And I mean, and, and I think there's also uh, something that needs to be said about the automobile-centric mode of transportation in the United States is only like 70 years old. Pre-World War II, pre-Eisenhower, where even though cars, automobiles were very prevalent, there was this mixed use of the roads of, you know, for bicyclists and for pedestrians and, uh, you know, and public transit. You know, like I had, I had a phase where I read a lot of like 1940s, like fiction, American fiction literature. And they just generally use like, oh, well, you lived in like a, a suburb or a secondary suburb and you took the bus 
to go places because it was readily acceptable at that time that you use public transportation because not everybody owned cars. And then we got this big push in the 50s that everybody owned vehicles and, and you had multiple vehicles per household if, if need be. It's it's kind of re-educating people like this is not how it's always been, right? Like it's, you know, this idea that it's a automobile-centric way of be- living is not how it's always been. And, and Buffalo, like you said, happened to peak basically at the wrong time. Like it, it peaked in like the 1950s during this, like this Eisenhower administration. And people are like, oh, well, it's, it's just going to keep growing. So we better build it under the auspices of what we think is correct in the 1950s, which is all automobile-centric transportation. Well, go, I mean, and what they thought was correct was also incredibly racist because you look oh, at where Oh, they, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, these roadways I mean, in. It, 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 you say was also, but I think, you know, like, <laughs> feature, not bug yeah. at that time for the, for them. It's like, let's redline all these communities, and then let's put all our federal infrastructure dollars into bulldozing them and put an expressway so all these new developments out in you know the suburbs can have easy access to work every day, and we'll let everybody else Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, the, the 33 and 198 were not done accidentally. Well, no, no. You can, and I mean, for me, it's like, all right, in my opinion, cars aren't going away. Like, it, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I think it's, I think we should strive to be conscious of the environment. Um, cars aren't going away, but I think you can easily have a better community for both cars and cyclists and pedestrians. I, I think, in fact, like if you design the roadways better and smarter, that it would be a better experience for everybody involved. And that's, I think that's what we got to strive towards. It's like, okay, this is the world that we live in right now. How do we make that so? Look, you live in Western New York. A lot of things are spread out. You probably do need a vehicle on some level, especially like when it's snowing. You know, you, you I know, God love them. There are people who do <laughs> go bike out in the snow. I'm not one of them, um, but it, it's something that in some ways you you will need a vehicle on a certain level. Or, but how, how do you make that experience of driving, of walking, of cycling? Like, how do you make that better for everybody? And I think there is a way to do that. And, you know, we got to strive towards that more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, you know, like, even the people who are out in like the exurbs or secondary suburbs, they appreciate like that urban style of architecture. I mean, look, think about like everybody from like Wales shitting their dick when they drive through East Aurora. Like they love like how East Aurora looks and it feels to them, and it's it's great. And there are way more pedestrians, fewer bikers, but I mean, there's some there bicyclists in the village of East Aurora. Then there are on like 28 by like the Wales hotel, but they still love East Aurora. Like they, they love that idea. Like, and, the, and it makes them slow down. It's just getting them to embrace that a, a, as a more wholesale change. Yeah. And if you look nationally, um, majority of trips taken within one mile or less, 72% of them are driven in a car by yourself. And so we're not looking for a broad change and, and all these pieces, but you know, that, that one mile trip that is, primarily being driven in a car by yourself right now, could that be changed into that 15-minute walk? Mm-hmm. You know, and how do we make that 15-minute walk happen and make it so it's a regular occurrence? You know, and that is really, I think, the sweet spot that we're after. When we start looking about bike infrastructure, and I think one of the things, you know, in, in an app critique is that a lot of drivers drive past it and they don't see a cyclist in those lanes. And even in Lackawanna, we said, oh, there was a 275% increase. And, you know, well, what is what are those actual numbers? Every time I drive down that, you know, that street, I didn't see a single cyclist. 
And I think it's important for us to reevaluate, you know, you know, are we, we're not counting, um, we're not counting cars. We're counting people out there on the streets. And I think we can do a lot more about, you know, when our design is something that's protected, you know, you've got the ability to bring up the, you know, 60 to 70% of the population. If you just have a bike lane on a very busy road, like in Lancaster, you know, you're going to get what I like to affectionately call, and I'm one of them, uh, a mammal, a middle-aged man in Lycra who's going to be out there in their <laughs> $5,000 bike, you know, going 20 miles an hour. But you're not going to get, you know, the families and the moms, you know, and the kids out there in those bike lanes. And part of the reason why that the bike, you know, not everyone likes bike lanes. My counter argument to what you just said, by the way, is, oh, I see the bike lane is empty, whatever. How many times do you go to a store parking lot and you see the handicapped parking space empty? You know, like you're not, not everybody who is handicapped will always be at the store, but you would agree that it's important that those spaces are there for the people who need them. And that's how I view Absolutely. this. It's like, Hey, there might not always be somebody in the, the bike lane, but it's important that it's there, that it exists for the people who need it. Right. Yeah. And part of sometimes they're just simply used to get cars to slow down. Right. Right. So all this bike nonsense you're talking about, you can definitely agree with the rest of us that it's important we get as many cars back into Delaware Park as possible, right? Oh, please. <laughs> if there is if there is silver linings is what I've been looking for for the last two years. And if there's one silver lining in this pandemic locally is that we removed cars from the Delaware Park Ring Road and the South Park Ring Road. You know, we've seen cities across the world go so much further in what, you know, open streets of having 70 miles uh, around their communities that they've shut down just for access for people because they recognize that their sidewalks were too crowded. You know, we've seen tremendous increases locally as well in people using their parks. Um, but if there is one thing that I think most people can agree on is that not having vehicles in those ring roads makes it so much more enjoyable an experience. Why the hell would you want to drive your car through there anyway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Newsflash, Delaware Park is not Watkins Glen. No. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> why on earth? Like, yeah. like and, and, like, living with it now is just, like, as a walkable thing. Like, yeah. why the fuck would you want to drive uh, look, your car look, there? Look, here's my thing, is that if I want to drive around the ring road in Delaware Park... I'm going to go to the Maston Street Armory, steal a tank, and then nobody can tell me what to do anyways. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. Fill out that survey. Right. Yeah, fill yeah. out that survey. Please fill out that survey. There's so many other places to drive. Like, you could drive You could drive literally anywhere else. Why Why do you want to drive in, like, it's a, it's a nice walk. It's a beautiful walk. Right. You know, if you want to drive in Delaware, like, Delaware Park, if it's that important to you, spend $25, get a golf cart, and go out <laughs> and hit the 18. Oh, absolutely Jeez. yeah no, the, 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 the ring road driving is insane it's not like please tell everybody that it's it's, it's a terrible idea and you don't want to do that anymore <laughs> all right well justin man thanks for joining us here uh at the square we'd love to have you we'd love to have you back where can our listeners find you or find go bike uh for more information yeah go check out our website gobikebuffalo.org our work has us primarily in the city of Buffalo, but we've been doing stuff up in Niagara Falls. We're doing stuff down with the Seneca Nation down in Salamanca. Um, we're working on trails with the Niagara River Greenway and across all Western New York. So lots of exciting projects uh, coming about that we'll start seeing this spring. All right. And if people want to support Go Bike Buffalo, how could they do that? 
they can come out and volunteer. Every, they can donate their bicycles. Um, if we're out there painting crosswalks, uh, you can join us for doing that too. And then, you know, we once a year hold our annual sky ride where this is the one opportunity you get to ride your bicycle across the skyway and check out those beautiful views. So if you only ride your bike once a year, make sure it's on the skyway with us. Awesome, man. Well, hey, Justin, thanks for joining us. I'm sure we'll have you back when, hey, maybe the weather's a little nicer and there's more stuff going on. Um, But yeah, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you.